She was a military wife and a homeschooling mom of two. From the outside, her life looked picture perfect, but she was hiding a severe addiction to prescription pills. It actually got so bad that she eventually was arrested and jailed. Her story is one of deep pain, but also one of healing and recovery. Stay with us. Welcome to the Moms for America podcast. Each week, we introduce you to special guests who share their personal stories and advice on how to build a strong foundation of faith, family, and freedom in their home, community, and country. Hi, moms. I'm Debbie Corlitis, your host, and this is the Moms for America podcast, a show inspiring, encouraging, and educating moms in their journey through motherhood. Right on the top of the show, we want to invite you to like and subscribe to our podcast. And we always ask you to share a podcast with your mama friends. Uh, also, if you have a topic, an idea, a guest, please email me at podcast at momsforamerica.net. You know, I love to hear from you. Again, that's podcast at momsforamerica.net. Love your input and love your ideas. I also want to invite all of our moms listening to join our movement here at Moms for America. It's moms like us all across the country, uniting to fight for faith, family, freedom, and the Constitution. That is our goal, and that is what we want to help moms all across the country do. Uh, go ahead and check us out at our website, which is momsforamerica.us. Again, that is momsforamerica.us. And um, again, I just want to welcome everyone that is here for the very first time and welcome everyone that is back with us each week. Um, it is my honor and our privilege to get together with you moms and encourage and inspire and empower you in your journey through motherhood. So glad to have you. Today's special guest mom is Robin Brock. She was Mrs. Kansas 2020, but her inner beauty comes from all the work she's doing today to help women maintain their sobriety. Robin knows firsthand what it is like to live with an addiction. In fact, her addiction to painkillers could have cost her many years behind bars. She's here to share her story and help others on the road to recovery. So I wanna go ahead and welcome this special mama. Welcome Robin to the Moms for America podcast. Thank you so much, Debbie. I'm honored to be here with, with all of you. Well, I met this great mama at an event a couple of months ago and was so um, impressed by her, uh, her beauty, uh, her inner beauty. Um, she was just lovely to, to hang out with. We were actually at a pageant in Missouri. So um, we kind of started sharing stories and a little bit about our backgrounds. And I said, Robin, you have to come on the Moms of America podcast as a mom and talk about your story because it will help others in their journey um, as they're recovering. So Robin, first of all, I wanna know a little bit about your tribe before we get into your story. Tell us about the Brocks. Oh, our tribe is so special. I am remarried and you'll learn more about that in this, in this story, but I have a, a, a husband now, his name is Ron and we have two boys to, well, not together, but we're raising them together. Uh, Evan is 15, Liam is 11, and they are so much fun to raise and learn, and they teach us way more about ourselves than we'll probably ever teach them. And we have a neat story too, because their dad, Cameron Mason, is still involved in their lives, of course, he's their dad, and we're all very close and get along um, 
pretty darn well. And I have a lot of respect for his partner, Amanda. So we're, we're kind of an extended tribe, but it's a beautiful tribe. I love it. So you're busy. You're busy mama. And Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We all are, aren't we? <laughs> Boys as well. So when we met in Missouri a few months ago, um, you had talked about this, um, your story. Um, and I was shocked because um, I was sitting there with you and I was like, wow, this girl's so impressive and amazing. And you just never know anyone's backstory. You never know their journey. You never know the healing um, and the amazing stories. So I, I, I almost didn't believe it when you told me that, you know, you had an addiction and, you know, you had been jailed and you showed me your mugshot. I was like, are you kidding me? So I know we laughed for a moment there. But it is a very sobering, and I mean that in a good way, sobering story of um, what happened to you. Because I know that addictions happen in many forms. We all know that. And it's, it is an escape, obviously, for people and for moms. So I'd love to just talk a little bit about what were you addicted to? And, 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 and we'll get into how did that actually happen? What was, what was the addiction, Robin? So my specific addiction that I sought treatment for was for opiate painkillers. And this is an interesting one because I knew that I was susceptible. I knew it ran in my family. I knew that alcohol abuse was something to watch for. And so I was always hypervigilant about that. Um, the addiction to painkillers came on, I think I was, I'm trying to remember when it exactly started, but it was between 30 and 32. So this wasn't a youthful exploration of drugs or alternative living or partying. This was just regular run-of-the-mill, day-in, day-out, prescribed medication by a dentist, actually, and uh, had a procedure go bad, and they doubled up on my prescription because I had immense pain, and in mm. that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. I became a prisoner of that feeling. And there was almost nothing I could do to break free from that. And I thought I would have to live the rest of my life that way. Think about this now, 32, like you're saying, this wasn't, this isn't high school. Um, this is a grown woman who understands that addiction is real and can happen. And it caught you, it grabbed you. Um, you said a little bit that you kind of felt like you were pre predisposed to having an addiction. And I think you just alluded to that a little bit. What, what does that mean? Well, we have a family history. And so, you know, it, and like you said, just about everyone is struggling with an addiction to something, you know, so whether it's a, a substance or a habit or a behavior, we exhibit methods of escape in different ways right and, and so we'll get there that's a deeper topic but I knew that my family in particular had issues with alcohol and and that I had heard stories about both sides of my family and and I had seen some things firsthand a lot of things growing up and I always thought okay this is wonderful this is an example of how not to live my life this is what right. not to do and so Actually, what I was doing in those moments was I was creating, uh, I was a weaving kind of a tapestry of wanting to have a perfect life and not experience pain or disappointment. And so I was kind of almost setting the stage for addiction without even knowing it in my youth because I wanted to live so perfectly. 
And so then when the substance came in, that was really just kind of the hmm. symptom of the underlying disease, if that makes sense. Yeah. So now you, you said that, let's go back to the beginning of the, of the story. You said this started with um, dental work um, and then you get prescribed pain pills and then your journey just started to escalate with addiction. Let us know about this because again, nobody ever says I'm going to become addicted or nobody's ever like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ruin my life. Or I'm going to put everything in jeopardy. No one ever starts out that way. It's kind of a slow burn. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did the addiction tell us about the beginning addiction and, and how it started to escalate? Right. Wonderful question. So I had people pleasing behaviors, approval seeking behaviors. Once I realized what was happening and we went back and did the work, uh, from some of my first memories, you know, and wanting to be enough. And uh, so when the substance was introduced, when I realized uh, that if I took the pills a certain way, if I took a certain pill a certain way, it would create this warm, tingly sensation in my body. And I would no longer have anxiety or worry or fear. And for a few moments, I felt completely warm and wrapped in like in this warm blanket it's and like I, safe. Yeah. And, and it's so funny because people will say, Oh, I hate pain pills when they're prescribed to me. You know, they make me ill. They hurt my stomach. I just don't like the way I feel on them. And, and the weird thing is, is that for me, I felt that way too, but something in the back of my mind said push through that and do it this way. And when the doctor prescribed me two at a time, which is what happened, all of that nausea and stuff just went away. It disappeared. And I just became very euphoric and it gave me all this energy. So it did the opposite of what it normally does for most folks when taken very, very responsibly. So at this point now you're taking them, um, for pain. Now it's getting a little bit more addicting, it's becoming a little bit of your identity. Um, When did you know that this was getting out of hand? Um, How did you come to a realization of this? That's a process. And that is why I'm here today to talk to you all, because for me in my particular situation, I was, you know, raising two boys. I was a stay-at-home mom. My husband at the time, the boy's dad, was um, an army veteran, Purple Heart veteran, who was at the time a federal agent. Mm. You know, we, from all angles, the life looks perfect. Right. And what was happening was I had let my, uh, my passions kind of go by the wayside. You know, I was sacrificing and, you know, boys need this or, you know, and all of that was things that I willingly gave away. Nobody did that to me but I just thought that's what you had to do to be a good mom. So I'm out here being a good mom, but really secretly, I'm kind of building all these resentments because no one is appreciating me enough. No one is patting me on the back enough. The kids aren't respectful enough, you know, all these things in my mind. And so then you start building this, this situation, almost like a fort inside. Yes. I deserve this because you know, it's almost like um, I take the pills at you, but I'll never tell you, you know, what you did to upset me. I'll just keep doing it and waiting for you to behave the way my mind says you should behave towards me. It, it's it's very complicated. But what happened was the addiction started taking off. It started taking root. And I knew I was in trouble when I would wake up in the morning in terrible pain. 
And the pain was actually not coming from the dental procedure that was botched. It was coming from the joints in my body. It was coming from my back. It was coming from my head. I was swelling. My body wasn't healthy. And I knew I could sense that the, the pain killing drugs were telling my body that I had to have them and that I would not be okay without them. And in a way I knew that that wasn't the truth, but the majority of my brain believed that we had to have it to live. Mm. And, and I could not imagine facing the day without it. So the very first thing on my mind in the morning was what hurts and how, how many pain pills do I have? And then how can I get more? Okay. And this is really where it gets tricky now. How many do I have and how can I get more? Right. right. Because right. then desperation starts in. Then yep. you start taking it into your own hands. When you started trying to figure out how can I get more? Is this when you knew that you had crossed a line? That's hard. I knew I was getting there, but the delusion okay. is so thick that it's almost impossible to see my own insanity, right? When I'm in it. Right. And so that's why when we move into the kind of end phases here, I'll explain how that gets resolved. But um, did, did anyone know that you were dealing with this? Did you confess this to anyone? Did anyone see um, or was this still a secret at this point? I was a secret keeper, big time secret keeper. Yeah. Working double time to have this image out in the world that, you know, I'm taking my kids to karate and I'm cooking all these meals and you know, people come to me for advice and I'm doing all these things. And yet on the inside, I feel like a complete fraud because I know that I can't get through the day unless I know that little bottle of pills in my purse is there. Did you ever say anything to your husband? Yeah, I did. I did once he realized that I was taking too many. Okay. And so when he realized that he brought it up to me and, um, I don't know. I don't think that I could recognize yet that I was an addict. He asked me, he said, do you think you're an addict? And I said, yeah, I think, I think maybe I am. Like, I think I maybe need treatment for this. Cause I can't stop. And, um, at the time we just weren't really healthy enough as a couple for me to go do that and with the optics of me leaving for 30 days. Um, and I wasn't comfortable enough to speak up to right. save my own life. Well, you're dealing with, you get a, you have a war in your mind, you know, happening. I can only imagine that you're like, I'm not, I am, I can do this. I can fix it. I can, you know, I can handle this. And that's what we do as moms. A lot of times we just handle everything and we end up putting ourselves sometimes, you know, way down the priority line. Um, how were you getting access to the pills? And at what point did you start um, making this happen for yourself? I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah. So that's the kind of complicated thing with me is that I don't look like an addict. You know, and I didn't at the time, I looked like a pretty put together stay at home mom. I had, you know, the makeup right, the clothes right, kids right, um, and, and I kind of was playing a role. So I would go to my dentist who knew that she really messed up. And so I knew I kind of had her at a disadvantage and I milked her 
as much as I could for more and more and more and more. And then wow. I would go to my urgent care doctor who also seemed to have a mutual respect with me and he would give me more. And then I would go to, you know, whatever, a family doctor and be like, yes, I, I have this, these prescriptions because they can see all of that. When you're getting controlled substances, all of your doctors can see what you're being prescribed and the pharmacy can see how many times you're being prescribed things too. And I knew that. Okay, right. My brother works for a pharmacy software company. So, um, so they all knew that someone else was helping you as well, but they continued to help you. Yeah, not help, I shouldn't say help, but they continued they to they prescribe. Yeah, they, these were not reckless people. You know, they, they really thought they were helping. And I, I take full responsibility for that. I was milking them. Were sure. they over-prescribing? And is there a culture of over-prescribing? I mean, I don't know if I can say that, but probably. Uh, but I don't think they were being malicious. They right. were honestly buying my story. So, right. And you were, had your story down, right, Robin? Yeah, you had, had your story down. I had it down and I believed it myself. Sure. I did, even though I knew in my gut that I was not being authentic. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I got them from everywhere that I could, but always from a doctor and always from the pharmacy. Okay. So now you're getting the pres prescriptions, but somehow yeah. it's still not enough. It's not enough. And at this point I'm up to 30 either hydrocodone or oxycodone a day no 30. 30 it gives me chills to talk about that yes gosh you're a miracle that you survived i i totally agree oh my goodness i didn't realize it was that much yes i was swollen you could press me and i had fluid just everywhere my eyes were yellow um it so was, you're, you're getting a combination of 30 pills a day. It's still not enough, which we know that this is what happens with addiction. It's yeah. never enough. It doesn't matter what it is. It's never enough with addiction. What did you do? How did you increase this yourself? Because this is really where it gets tricky. Yeah. So there were, you know, there were, there were only a couple of ways left to go. As we all know, you know, once you max out on that, you've got to switch to something else. Right. And uh, I wasn't in that world yet. And this is where God really steps in, in my story. And so um, I call him God, higher power, but okay. I went and I started, I got a prescription from a, from a well-meaning dentist and I looked at it and something in my brain said, you could make that. You could print that off yourself right at home and save yourself an hour trip to the doctor. And that's the kind of the craziest thing about it when you think about it, because I could have gone to about three to five different doctors and gotten prescriptions for exactly what I wanted. And yet I decided to make my own fraudulent prescription based on this template that I now had in my hands. Okay. And so I did it. I did it. I created the document. I signed it. I forged it. And I took it to the pharmacy and rolled the dice. And it worked. And, and how, how long were you doing this? Gosh, I mean, I, I think I filled eight prescriptions um, before I was caught or before they arrested me. So eight I, prescriptions on top of the 30 already. So now you're just, you're, you're at your highest take level ever. 
Yeah, yeah. At this point, I'm eating at least 30 a day. And at this point, I'm not euphoric. I don't have energy. I am just trying to not feel like my back is breaking, that my skin is crawling, um, that I want to throw up all the time. It's you. It literally convinced me that if I didn't have that in my bloodstream every few minutes, that I was I was going to be sick and die. And and that's how I felt all the time. It wasn't enjoyable. It wasn't fun. There was no productivity. It was just like falling asleep, swollen, aching, not on this earth, just like head in the clouds. It, it wasn't anything good at all. I, I was barely functioning if I was functioning at all. I don't even know how you were a mom at that point, but you just kept pushing through. Well, I mean, I had to keep up appearances because the right. disease will do anything it can to protect itself. Right. So at all costs, whoever you have to lie to, whatever you have to do. And, um, and I say that with, with a lot of responsibility too, because it, it's my responsibility to, to be right. honest. You know, I'm not pawning that off on the disease, but that's what it does. So, so how did you, how did you get caught? What happened? What was, what changed you? What was the, um, what was the aha moment? I knew, I knew as soon as I wrote that first prescription that I was done. I knew it was over. I just didn't know what day it would happen. Right. It was out of control. All the way, all the way. And I would look when I would drive around, I would look for police to be watching me, you know, in my SUV my mom SUV with the kids in the back. Um, and I don't say that with any pride whatsoever. It's just, no. it's incredible to me, the audacity of, of the way the brain works mm-hmm. at that stage. But I would drive around. It's that and strange would, desperation that will make you do just about anything. It's a survival. It yeah. feels like survival, but nothing more than that. Nothing, nothing above that. It's just survival like zombie land. And right. so I, I would go through the pharmacy and I would wait for the cops to pull up, you know, and I, I would see if the cops were in the parking lot, like doing a sting or waiting for me and they never were. And so I was like, oh, what's going on here? And I just kept getting everything that I, that I asked for. Okay. Until I didn't. And that day it was, um, my husband at the time's birthday. I had just picked up kids from karate and I told him I was going to pick up a, a birthday cake or pick up the kids. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. And I went to the pharmacy and um, I gave them my name and birth date and not five seconds later did a police officer pull up beside me. Okay. It was what does he say to you now? Now you're in some weird way you were waiting for this to happen. Yeah, I was. He said, you're not going to get what you're looking for today. Hmm. And I was just beside myself. I didn't, I mean, just all the adrenaline and I, I didn't know what to do. Mostly I was worried about, oh my gosh, like if I don't get this prescription, what's going to happen? And that's really so sad. Did, my that is sad. And, and what, what happens at that point? Do you, are you cuffed? Are you jailed? Are you? So they, I, we pull, what forward. Happens? we pull out of the drive-thru and we pull forward and park and uh, he gets out and explains to me what's going on. 
and the boys are in the back seat and yeah yeah and they asked me to call my husband to come get the boys which I refused to do because it's his birthday and I'm over here being a terrible person ruining his birthday and the kids and you know what are we going to do and this can all just be resolved I'm thinking still in my mind right and and I realized that wasn't an option when he said you can either call him or I can call CPS. And I thought, okay, so there's no option here. So, right. right. So I called him, he came up and got the kids. He was broken, you know, very, very confused. And um, still kind of protective of me too, you know, and very, very- And heartbreaking for you as a mom, because you know that your kids at some level know something is not right. The police are- they knew for a long time it wasn't right. They knew it wasn't normal to right. go to the pharmacy every day. You know, they, they right. knew that stuff. So and did you get it? Did you end up getting arrested? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, Evan was seven. Is that right? Yeah, seven. And yeah. Liam was, what, three, four? Okay. Four. And... Uh as we're waiting for everything, the police officers are there being very kind. And, and Evan says to the police officer, is my mom going to have a soft place to sleep tonight? And yeah, that's hard. And wow. so they, they were very kind and they waited and they yeah. me after their dad took them away. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you see your kids go away with your husband. You're there. Did they arrest you and take you to jail? Did you have to go to court? What happened? Yeah, yeah, they arrested me and I went to jail that night. Um, and and that's really when God moved in a really, really big way for me. I, I'm sitting in the, in the, on the floor of the jail and more women are being added through the night. And it's a holding cell. And um, and so they're coming in, they're coming in, they're coming in. And by the time, uh, I don't know, early morning came, it's hard to say, because they leave the lights on the whole time. You know, it's all like super fluorescent and very, very cold. And um, by the time every the, the place was full, they the women were all kind of coming too. And I was, of course, very scared and they could tell that. Sure. But these were women that I would have earlier in the day or the day before walked around if they were, you know, in the front of a store or at, at a gas station or something. I would have walked around them to avoid making eye contact or because they seemed dangerous. Mm-hmm. And they were all coming down off something. You know, we were all very, very ill at that point. And, um, and they, right, because now you're without your pills, right? We're all without our drug of choice. Right. And everybody in there had a drug problem. I will say that. So you spend and, the night in the jail with all these women that are addicted or I guess, I don't know exactly what their stories were. So I have to do with addiction. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're sitting there in this moment. Were you able to think logically? Mm, not really. I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't say that that okay. would be a stretch, but they came to me and they sat around in a circle 
And not to make it sound like summer camp, it was not summer camp, but they asked me what my deal was. They wanted to know. And I told them what was going on and they told me exactly what was going to happen with talking to the judge and, you know, it's going to be like, okay. this, and this is probably how it'll work. And then they told me about their addictions. I didn't ask, but they asked me about my experience and, you know, what I was into and how I got there. And then they told me their stories. And I, I am going to tell you that just about every single story began with an injury or a sports injury in school or falling off a horse or something. You hear this a lot. Yep. And it began with a legitimate prescription from a legitimate doctor. And then it grew from there. And now it's full-blown heroin or, or meth. I mean, you yeah. just, anything. And but, I know a lot of our, our moms that are listening know someone or someone's story like this. So your journey is, um, I'm sure it's not unique, but it is, it is sad. But I just love looking at you right now in your home right now and just seeing what um, the restoration that's happened. So the next morning, did you go before the judge? Did you get? I did. I did. did. I don't even know what, what you call this at this yeah. stage of the game. So these women were, um, I, I want to say this because this is really important. These women that I would have walked around the day before begged me to save my life. Hmm. They told me that they had lost their children, that their kids were in foster care, that their kids were with their parents, that, you know, they've lost everything and that they are done. There, there's no hope for them. And they're not even trying anymore. They've tried and tried and tried to get clean or sober and it's not working. So at this point, they are just looking for the next high that's going to take them out of this world. Sure. Or, they gave up. They gave yes, up. They were giving, they were telling you not to give up. That's they, they were, were begging me not to. They were telling me exactly the truth about what was going to happen next for me. Wow. So you and couldn't that, have had a better counseling session in no, some no. ways by looking at the women that were there and their life. And you were like, no, this is not for me. Right. And I knew, it, I knew it didn't align, but I had to be humble. Right. That was the thing about me. I thought I was humble. And I say this a lot, you know, back then, oh, I'm the most humble person, you know, just ask me. <laughs> so silly, but that's right. really, I think sometimes we have these own ideas about ourselves, and until we're actually living it or seeing it or being in the middle of it. Wow. That's when, when the rubber hits the road. On my knees humbled. I mean, flat on my back, probably. Um, okay. So, so now, now what happens? I go to the judge. He releases me. I, I leave um, and go home and my family flew in and supported me. So um, my cousin came to sit with the kids and my mom came to deal with the house and the cooking. And I went to treatment for 34 days inpatient. I went to a treatment center. This is important for anyone listening that might be looking at options. I went to a treatment center that did not prescribe other medications. It's my belief that when you're addicted and you have that personality, you can be addicted to anything. So I had to be very careful not to leave a treatment center with a bag full of pills, which is very common. Okay. Uh, so I did not want that. So I went to a holistic treatment center in Arizona. Um, it was very close to my house actually. So that worked out and I did 34 days, the max that my insurance would do. I would have done anything 
Right. And that's the thing about treatment. And why does it work? It works when you're ready, when you're ready to do anything, to go to any length and nothing is going to stop you. There are no excuses. That's when it works. And I would treatment works. You have to be ready for treatment. You have to be ready to embrace it. And you have to be ready to heal. If you would have locked me in a treatment center two weeks before, I cannot say that it would have worked. Sure. So I did that. I did um, intensive outpatient, they call it, which is basically the same stuff you get in treatment, but you drive there and drive yourself home. There's, so there's more freedom. And I did another minor step down, like four hours a day of outpatient, right? Instead of eight. Uh, for another 30 days, I think it was, it's hard to remember back then, but whatever they said is what I did. Right. I didn't have any suggestions, right. About how to do it. Cause I couldn't do it by myself. Right. I also went to a 12 step program and they, um, they recommended that I do that. That was okay. the worst possible thing for me. I did not want to do that. I thought it was terrible. I'd seen right. things like that on the movies and it didn't look like it was for me. But I went and I fell in love and I found my home and I found my people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So your journey of healing and recovery was how long? Oh, uh, the rest of my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. It's never, it's not, it's not temp. It's not uh, a one-stop shop. It's something that becomes a part of you, your healing journey, isn't it? It's a spiritual practice for me. It will be the rest of my life. It's not. Yeah. What an amazing story. And now here, look, you go forward. Um, you ended up finding love again. And that's a wonderful story. Your children, um, you know, you're, you're a mom. And then you went on, you competed for um, the Mrs. Pageant. And now you're using your testimony, um, your story to help other moms and other women in this journey. I mean, look what the Lord has done. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I would so I went awesome. looking at what 12 years, 12 years in federal prison with all the charges oh, that were brought up against me. And, and so you got probation. That was it. Why do you think that was? I th- I think that I was meant to do this work outside. And I think that my higher power knew that I would be more effective here. If I would have been more effective in there, then I would have been sent there. And I had really come to peace with that. I, you know, at first didn't want to go. Of course not. But I, I had come to peace with that. If I was going to be useful inside of a prison, then that's exactly what I would do. And maybe that's what all this was for. Wow. Who would know? Who would know what, what plans? Um, you know, I think about Romans 8, 28, that he works all things out for good. You know, he, he worked this out for good and you allowed it and you stepped into it and you said, you know, not only am I going to go through this healing journey and make this a part of my entire life in the future now, but I'm going to help others. What's some closing words of advice, Robin? Um, you may be talking to a mom right now that is dealing with the same issue or a mom that may have this issue coming up, or it may be their daughter, or it may be their mother. Mm. What would you say? I have a sponsor who... Uh, would tell me we don't ever give advice and she's she's taught me a lot so I'm going to honor her on that but I will give suggestions Um, if somebody that you know is dealing with this the best thing that can be done is that you are a safe place to support that person Uh, so there's there's a few ways that that works Uh, 
non-judgmental conversation, not trying to fix anyone and not loving them to death. This is something I talk with a lot of people about. If we love them to death, there is such a thing as loving someone to death and it's mostly codependent behavior. But when we love someone to death, we love them so much that we keep making life easy for them because we don't want them to feel that pain because we love them. But if we don't feel the pain, there's really no opportunity for that catalyst of change to come in. And so one of the things we say is, who are we to deny anyone the gift of desperation? And Mm -hmm. so take a minute and sit with that because desperation really is a gift. Nobody really grows when things are comfortable and easy. So don't love them to death and, Mm -hmm. um, and don't take it personal. Please, 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 if you don't hear anything else I say, if someone you know is struggling, it has nothing to do with you. It's not your fault. It's you're not the reason it happened and you're not the reason that they'll be saved, right? Mm -hmm. So you can be there for them. You can love them. When they ask you, you can give them suggestions. A great conversation starter is, are you open to suggestions? Okay. Good place to start. Good place to start. And and are you finding, um, I guess, like you're saying that people have to come to their own point of realization and, des- and, and that, that journey of desperation or wherever it leads you, mm-hmm. you can't talk someone into that. You can't change someone, but you can be there for them. That's it. Unconditional love. If you think about it, that's what we're all searching for. Yeah. Maybe we don't realize that, but we're all looking to be seen and accepted for exactly who we are. My problem was I didn't know who I was yet. I was whoever you told me you wanted me to be because I wanted to be enough and I wanted to be accepted. So if you're out there and you're struggling, if you're drinking, you know, if you're putting vodka in your mom juice to go to the park, I'm just saying, I have a little experience with that. Uh, If you're doing anything that, that you feel guilty or ashamed of, just know you're not alone. I wish somebody would have told me we're only as sick as our secrets way before any of this happened. And it's the shame that keeps us in the dark. And it's the shame that keeps breeding this thing deeper and deeper and deeper. Shame and secrets. Once it's out there in the world, it takes all the power away. Right. It takes all the power away and, and it will not kill you. So if, if you need someone to reach out to, you know, Google, Google programs in your area, That's find right. a sponsor, do whatever you can to reach out and get help. But please, please, please do not struggle alone. You are not the only one that's going through that. You really aren't. And I know it looks like that because social media sells us this idea of perfection. Right. right. That's not the truth. Everyone is dealing with something. Thank you, Robin. I mean, what a great, I don't even know where to go from there, except thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your words of encouragement. And thank you um, for just being so transparent. That's what I love about you. And, and I think that really helps people on their journey uh, to know if it can happen to you, it can happen to me. And if you can get recovery and you can go on and have a beautiful life, I can too. So thank you for sharing your story, Robin. Thank you for having me. Thank you to all the moms out there. 
All right. Well, moms, what an amazing story. Thank you, Robin, again, for sharing uh, what you're doing to help women in recovery. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful testimony. I'm talking about the ending, but the journey, the, the, the travel through it was not easy, but we know that um, you can do all things, moms. You can do all things. You just have to trust in the Lord and obviously get help um, for your sake and for your family's sake. So before we close, I do want to just let everybody know about um, Moms for America. Uh, our website is momsforamerica.us. I do want to encourage everybody to visit our website. We have a lot of information on our website, all kinds of topics, all kinds of information, just like the things that we're sharing here today, uh, resources, events, and programs. Uh, one of the things I do mention every week is our cottage meeting program, which is our signature series. It's 12 lessons that help inspire and educate you moms about America's amazing heritage so you can share the principles of liberty in your home and in your community. This program, along with many of our other programs on our website, will help you impact your family and train up your kids and um, shore up your home in a very, very powerful way. Um, here at Moms for America, it's everything from parental rights to schools to public policy. We have it all here for you at Moms for America. Lastly, we'll invite you to sign up for our weekly newsletter where you get information just like today's podcast. Um, everything, we say everything is a mom issue, isn't it? <laughs> uh, we help moms be educated on issues that relate to them as moms um, to help them engage in their home and uh, with other moms all across the country. Again, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we say this every week, moms. We believe that liberty begins at home and that moms, you are truly the heartbeat of America. That's why this movement, that's why moms are so powerful because the moms are here raising the next generation and saving our country. So like and subscribe. I, I know that you have a mom out there that probably is dealing with addiction and I would love for them to hear Robin's story. Would you please let them know about it? Um, and again, we love you moms. Join us next week for another inspiring and informative discussion with moms just like you. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. And let's keep changing our world one home at a time. I'll see you next week. Jeff, I can...